there's a water crisis, a lead crisis in Canada. In Canada. I mean, I'm trying to keep up just with the American issue. But I had uh, somebody send me today that it is a, a very much a crisis in Canada, of all places. And, you know, Canada, you got Justin Trudeau with the fracking and all that. He was just elected. Let me uh, show you guys what is going on in Canada, because I think it's relevant to America, too. So let me uh, show you what's going on in Canada. Hold on. Well, Steve, you know, when you think about lead in drinking water, you kind of automatically think of Flint, Michigan. But this investigation takes us north of the border to a country that prides itself on its clean water. That would be Canada. Now, there's a group that investigated this. Obviously, a lot of people involved in this. They're researching uh, thousands of documents that were previously undisclosed. And they, they tested water in hundreds of homes across Canada, including 11 major cities. It turns out hundreds of thousands of Canadians are consuming tap water that has dangerous levels of lead in it. Now, take a look at this. Here's some of the cities. Montreal, which is obviously a huge city. Gatineau, which is close to Montreal. Saskatoon, Regina, Moose Jaw in the west, and Prince Rupert. So they were all found to have levels comparable or, or comparable, I should say, or higher than Flint, Michigan at the height of the issue, which was back in 2015. Now, in fact, 12,000 tests from 2014 found that 33% of the national safety, all the homes exceeded national safety guidelines when it came to lead. Now, to, just to put this into perspective, in Canada, we're talking about uh, five parts per billion. In the States, it would be 15 parts per billion. That's a national guideline in the States. But even with that guideline, 18% of houses that were tested would fail here in Canada. Now, some of the highest levels, and this is a shocker, are found in schools and daycares. And as we know, when it comes to lead poisoning, children are mo the most susceptible to this and the most in danger of being poisoned by lead and other health effects that come from that. Let me ask you, Alec, what has the Canadian government been doing about this? Is this all new to them, or have they known? What, what, what's going on with uh, fixing the problem? Good question, Steve. It looks like they've done little to nothing. I mean, we, we do have a guideline, like I just mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of talk about it, but there is really nothing that the government does about this. So although they have recommendations, which are federal recommendations about how much lead is allowed in water, uh, really the agencies that test the waters when it comes down to it, which aren't necessarily tied to the federal government, don't even have to tell residents. They don't have to disclose the fact that their uh, levels of lead in their water is higher than it should be. So just just last month, the province of Quebec, which is the French-speaking province in Canada, uh, they were talking about this. They were saying, you know, well, a lot of our infrastructure might need changing, but hey, don't worry, anybody. Your drinking water was safe. Well, we just found out Montreal is one of those main cities, as well as Gatineau, both in Quebec, that the drinking water is not safe. So break that all down. This situation paints a very different picture than what uh, people are being told. And as it sits right now, we don't know what the government's going to do. All we know is that some infrastructure is crumbling and it could po potentially cause people to be very sick. Um, first of all, before we get to this alarming story about Canada, I have an issue. And I'm sorry, I actually like RT, but this framing, all these outlets keep framing every lead story with more alarming lead levels than even Flint, Michigan. As we showed, hmm. as we showed last year, the lead levels in Flint were cooked. The lead levels in Flint that the former governor, Rick Snyder, passed off as um, 
Mission accomplished here. We could end the free water. The lead levels are improving. We're cooked. How were they cooked, Jen? They were cooked by literally the, the people testing, the official people who are supposed to be testing this water to make sure that people were safe, uh, were running the taps before taking the sample, which lets all the lead out. When you take a first draw sample of the water, that is the accurate reading that they are supposed to take. And without getting too technical, they can take other samples beyond that. But what they were supposed to do in this instant is immediately take that sample bottle, put it under the tap, and run and fill it from there. What they were doing is turning the water on, letting it run for a bit, in some cases 30 seconds, in some cases five minutes or more. So the lead all flushes out, then they take the sample, send it off to the lab, and it all seemingly comes back okay. And actually, even in those, in some of the cases, it didn't come back okay, even though it was flushed. So you imagine how bad it would have been if they had accurately sampled. Yeah, obviously, we're going to get to this really, really scary stuff about Canada. But we just think it's, it's not... I'm not blaming RT or these other outlets, but because the media basically does stenography and they just took Governor Rick Snyder and his environmental department's word for it on the data. By the way, we have this as a documentary. We're currently pitching that documentary to major networks. Or excuse me, our our sales agent is. Mm -hmm. So we have the evidence. We knocked on all the doors. We know that officials were going into dozens of homes in Flint and flushing away the evidence. So I just want to preface that, that... We love the reporting on lead problems elsewhere, but be careful about saying, oh, it's more than Flint, because I don't think we actually know nearly six years later what the real lead levels are in Flint. Right, all these headlines that say, oh, this is worse than Flint, this is worse than Flint. Well, literally nobody knows that. Right. But I, what I, why I wanted to lead with this story, besides the fact that this is alarming, I mean, you're talking 33% they found in 2014. 33% of Canada, 2014. Five years ago, who the heck knows what it is if the testing was doing being done this year. So why I'm bringing this up is whether it's you in Flint, in Detroit, which has water problems, East Chicago, Pittsburgh, um, Milwaukee, parts of Florida, North Carolina, which I've been to, now Newark. What Bernie always talks about, I hate to bring Bernie into this, (laughs) what Bernie always talks about is... This, a lot of the issues, oh, Bernie, Bernie, a lot of the issues that we're talking about here are internationally connected. The struggle for workers' rights is internationally connected. The struggle for a Green New Deal is internationally connected because the planet, it doesn't stop at America. It's international. So why this is important is many, many, many countries around the world have extremely old infrastructure. And many, many countries around the world, their systems might not be as dysfunctional as the U.S., as corrupt Mm -hmm. as the U.S., but there's still money involved in politics. There's still uh, screwed up priorities as far as what other countries are investing in. I mean, that RT reporter just told you, and a source that I have, which I'm going to try to schedule an interview with her. She lives in Canada. Uh, I think she's in the Super Chat, actually. Didi, Didi, who's saying schools showed... 1,000 parts per billion. Mm-hmm. The normal Gosh. level is 15 parts per billion. 1,000 parts per billion. So, And the only safe level is zero. So they're not even telling the residents 
they're not, so you have two kids. They're not telling residents, they're not telling parents whose children are in those schools. And more importantly, you know, we joke. Well, I don't joke. I say maybe we should just go to Canada, you know, for the health care. Yeah. Well, you're going to need that health care, apparently, right. in Canada. Because uh, Trudeau, who, again, I don't want to pretend to be an expert on Canadian politics. I'm not. But I do know enough that he has really, really been pushing all the fracking all around Canada, doing a lot of what the oil and fossil fuel companies do here in America, seizing Native American land. They did that in British Columbia with a pipeline going through uh, native land, uh, trying to privatize a lot of Canada. This is a Democrat. Oh, he's not a Democrat, but this is supposedly, uh, you know, Obama's tight and Mm -hmm. BFF with Justin Trudeau. So whether it's in America or Canada, it's all linked because the infrastructure is very, very old, but the politicians are not responding to the people. They are serving private interests. And it's very, very scary because at the end of the day, it's certainly not being fixed in America, not with this president. Frankly, Obama didn't do jack on lead. Not for Flint, not for East Chicago, and not for other places. Uh, So, you know, again, Trudeau was just reelected, but the Canadians' fight is our fight because we're all kind of screwed. And by the way, just, you know, I I don't want to condescend to the audience, but for those that don't know, lead is a very, very, very toxic uh, uh, toxin. Uh, it will provide, it will, it will deliver permanent brain damage to children. I don't mean like brain damage, like, you know, you're brain dead. I mean, like learning disabilities, um, cognitive impairment, um, some connections to autism, um, mood swings, social anxiety, depression, PTSD, cognitive, you know, memory loss, you name it. So if let, and it's not good for adults either. It, it affects children way worse, but it's not good for adults either. So uh, I'll just read you, you know, I showed you that clip, but basically, I mean, hundreds of thousands of Canadians have been unwittingly exposed to high levels of lead. Residents in some homes in Montreal, a cosmopolitan city an hour north of the U.S.-Canada border, and Regina in the flat western prairies are among those drinking and cooking with tap water with lead levels that exceeds Canada's federal guidelines. A year-long investigation by more than 120 journalists from nine universities and 10 media organizations, including the Associated Press, collected test results that properly measure that properly measure exposure to lead in 11 cities across Canada. Out of 12,000 tests since 2014, one third, 33% exceed the national safety guideline of five parts per billion. 18% exceeded the US limit of 15 parts per billion. And by the way, by the way, props to Canada. I think the the limit should be zero. The, The limit in America is 15 parts per billion. That is not, 15 parts per billion of lead is not a health measurement. The CDC will tell you it is not a health measurement. Um, the EPA will tell you it's not a health measurement. What that measures is corrosion control. What that measures is uh, the corrosion inhibitors, the, the chemicals that are put into water to prevent things like lead from leaching out. The CDC says zero is the limit for children. For adults, they say 15 parts per billion, but they say for, zero, for children, zero. So at least Canada, 
is at 5%, five parts per billion. Because I'm telling you, I mean, you've been covering this with me. If if our limit was five, mm-hmm. it would be on the, it, I think, it would be on the news every day because oh. you'd have almost uh, every American city would be <laughs> beyond five parts per yeah, billion. everywhere would be over. And I also think that, you know, if you have five parts per, you know, there's, everybody's different. You go to a doctor, they say every person is different. So Jen might drink water with, uh, let's say, 15 parts per billion and actually be relatively okay, right? Maybe she has a stronger immune system, uh, whatever. She was blessed with better genes. But me, who has sleep apnea that I'm trying to get treated for and has a back problem that I had surgery for, maybe I have four parts per billion and it wrecks my system. I mean, everybody, if you have a weaker immune system, a pre-existing condition, lead will ravage you. Ugh, Pete Buttigieg. No, Pete Buttigieg. Say it ain't so, Mayor Pete. Say it ain't so. I mean, in addition to being a completely empty vessel of a man, um, there's no there there. Uh, There's never been a there there. Uh, he keeps talking about my generation like like this is MTV's like total request live. <laughs> like he's not exactly, you know, he's 38's not old, but he's not like, you know, young, young, you know, <laughs> but my generation, my generation. So Mayor Pete, he has a bit of a black people's problem, as in indeed, Donald Trump has more support among African-Americans. I don't really think there's anything more to say. If Donald Trump has more support among African-Americans than you do, you're in deep doo-doo. You're in deep doo-doo, if that's the level. So, Mayor Pete, um, you know, obviously you can't win the Democratic nominee. You could win Iowa, maybe. Maybe he wins Iowa. Uh, You could win New Hampshire, maybe. But you're certainly not going to win South Carolina. Or after those first two states, you start getting into more diverse states. So, uh, great, great uh, find. This is from The Intercept. Mayor Pete just invented endorsements from significant African-Americans. This is from Ryan Grimm. Pete Buttigieg has showed remarkable staying power in the Democratic primary with the most recent Monmouth poll, blah, 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 blah. Uh, in July, he released, his campaign, he released his campaign's chief piece of policy outreach to black voters called the Douglas Plan, a comprehensive investment in the empowerment of black America. Okay, sounds good. Mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass, mm-hmm. abolitionist hero. The plan, who the Washington Post, by the way, compared Frederick, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth oh. Warren's selfies I still can't get to over Frederick that. Douglass. So <laughs> his plan covers everything from criminal justice reforms to public health care, education, and beyond. Proposes federal con- using federal contracting rules to increase the amount of contracts going to minority and women-owned firms, and blah, blah, blah. Great. I don't really care what his plan is because you go ask the people of South Bend, Indiana, He's been a disaster for black people in yeah. South Bend, Indiana. So like Elizabeth Warren, you can write good plans down, but I wanna, I'm, not, I'm looking at what have you done? Right. And I've spoken with black residents of South Bend, Indiana. He has shielded the white police from responsibility for police shootings of uh, a black man recently. Uh, there is a uh, very controversial uh, phone recording where uh, racist things were said about a, a black police officer. That black officer was then fired and that tape has not been released. Uh, Pete, as the mayor, pretends he doesn't have the power to release that call. I beg to differ. So what's amazing here. um, Oh, and it was the infamous moment when 
Uh, somebody in South Bend said, you're running for president and you want black people to vote for you, the woman said. That's not going to happen. Ma'am, I'm not asking for your vote. Oh, you remember that? Yikes. Yep. So to build support for this Frederick Douglass plan, Buttigieg and his staff lobbied prominent black South Carolinians to endorse it in order to strengthen the ca- cause of racial justice. The Washington Post reported on Monday that Buttigieg persuaded hundreds of prominent black South Carolinians to sign on to the plan, even if they are not supporting Buttigieg himself. Along with his release of the plan, his campaign directed consultants to convene focus groups with undecided black voters. The result, the resulting research memo finalized in late ju- July concluded that Buttigieg's sexuality was a barrier to winning support among black voters. The memo was leaked in the press this fall. Though the campaign has since denied that it was the source of the leak, the initial article about the memo published uh, by McClatchy includes on-the-record quotes from Buttigieg's campaign. Three days later, Buttigieg campaign began promoting a list of 400, wow, that's a lot, South Carolinian supporters of his Douglas plan in emails to reporters and on social media. Buttigieg traveled to South Carolina to spread awareness of the plan. The supporters were rolled out in a press release. So this sounds great, 400. That's great. Sounds good. Uh, Only problem, only problem. Uh, There's a, oh, quote, there is one presidential candidate who has proven to have intentional policies designed to make a difference in the black experience, and that's Pete Buttigieg. Read the open letter released with the plan. We are over 400 South Carolinians, including business owners, pastors, community leaders, and students. Together we endorse his black, uh, Douglas plan for black America, blah, blah, blah. The blowback came immediately. Devine, who has not endorsed the candidate yet in the presidential election, told The Intercept she didn't intend her support for the plan to be read as an endorsement for Buttigieg's candidacy and believes the campaign was intentionally vague about the way it was presented. Quote, Clearly, from the number of calls I received about my endorsement, I think the way they put it out there wasn't clear that it wasn't an endorsement, that it was an endorsement of the plan, and that may have been intentionally vague. I'm political. I know how this works. I do think they probably put it out there thinking people wouldn't read the fine print or wouldn't look at the details or even contact the people and say, hey, you're endorsing Mayor Pete? Asked if she knew if any of the black supporters of the plan were also supporters of Buttigieg. She said she's not sure. The ones I really knew were me and Congress Rep Thigpen. I don't know many, actually, now that I think about it, other than folks working on Mayor Pete's campaign, I don't know of any local elected officials who have endorsed him yet. Thigpen, meanwhile, has endorsed Bernie Sanders for president and was startled when he learned the campaign had not only attached his name to the plan, but also listed him as one of three prominent supporters atop the letter. Quote, how was it rolled out? How it was rolled out was not an accurate representation of where I stand, Thigpen told The Intercept. I didn't know about its rolling out. Somebody brought it to my attention and it was alarming to me because even though I had conversations with the campaign, it was clear to me, or at least I thought it made clear to me, that I was a strong Bernie supporter, actually co-chair of the state, and I was not seeking to endorse their candidate or the plan. But what I had talked about was potentially giving them a quote of support in continuing the conversation because I do think it's a very important conversation. So basically, what you have here is Pete Buttigieg campaign. They basically put out an email. They said to these 400 or so people in South Carolina supporting his uh, Frederick Douglass plan. By the way, of the 400 people, half of them were white. 
Oh my. Goodness. When asked, when his campaign was asked about that, that you know you're the 400 people supporting you over your plan for black people are white. His, the response in the campaign, uh, we're building a multiracial coalition. <laughs> I just cannot. <laughs> but the best part about this to me, honestly, so you do email marketing, right? Yeah. You're very good at that. Join our email list, statuscoup.com. Join our email list right now. It's how we get around this facacta suppression. How many people are on our email list? Uh, almost 4,000. No. So what's amazing to me is they put in this email uh, almost like an opt-out. So like opt-out if you don't want your name attached mm -hmm. to this plan or Mayor Pete. Mm -hmm. Does anybody read like all the way at the bottom of the email? Very few people. Very few. So Very that, that's few. almost like if I'm a politician like calling, I don't know, Barack Obama and saying like, hey, you have an hour, let me know. If you don't want me to say you support, <laughs> right? Me. Otherwise, I have your endorsement. It's 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 like this is like an opt in or opt out endorsement. Oh God! And, and I actually think this is tr truly. Want to talk for a second? I mean, we're trying to grow ourselves, but I got to give a little shout out to the Intercept here. This is why independent media is so important. Look at this story: the Washington Post just regurgitated what the Buttigieg campaign told them. The Washington Post, because they have no critical journalists and they just do press releases, the Washington Post reported on Monday that Buttigieg persuaded hundreds of prominent black South Carolinians to sign up for the plan. Ryan Grimm of The Intercept did something very revolutionary. He read, he read the endorsement announcement. He looked at the three prominent black people that, were that the Buttigieg campaign was claiming and he just found their number or whatever. Hey, uh, this is Ryan Grimm from The Intercept. Oh, yeah, I hope you're doing well, too. I just want to <laughs> confirm because I, I want to confirm that you are endorsing this uh, Frederick Douglass plan and also Pete Buttigieg for president. What? This takes all of, I mean, probably longer to find their contact information. Right. That was some nice Ryan Grimm role play, by right. the way. Right. <laughs> His interpret journal intrepid journalism. Seriously, good job. Yeah, good job. Doesn't take that long. And Intercept, with far less resources than the Washington Post, figures out, oh, this guy is full of mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes there are mistakes. Uh, campaigns make mistakes or whatever. Of course. You don't make mistakes no. like three prominent, prominent black uh, lawmakers in South Carolina endorsing you. So, yeah. And by the way, I tweeted this out yesterday. But this is the guy. This is the guy that the corporate media... Oh, there's my button that the corporate media has been propping up. You ever watch, did you ever watch Family Matters with Steve Urkel? Yeah, of course. You know how there was the time machine where he could go back oh in time or forward it? It's been like a hundred years. I don't it's know like that. they have this <laughs> they have this machine and they just throw them in. They did this with Kamala Harris too. And they bounce the candidate around. They mold the candidate, woman or man, into whatever the hell they want. And out spits, you know, my generation. Yeah. And, you know, we can't afford uh, to go back. Policy somewhere in there? We'll get to that later. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not black. Obviously, you're not black, but so I'm not going to white explain to black voters. But I'd be very concerned here um, about somebody who the corporate media barely covers it, but has serious problems with his own constituents in a small town, city, 100,000 people, 
and is now just making up endorsements in South Carolina. The Washington Post should be embarrassed. The Buttigieg campaign should be extremely embarrassed, but clearly this was meant to have, I mean, they clearly orchestrated this as a PR game. It's really, really disturbing, especially to use black, black support as something you're going to spin and lie about like this. Like that's, it's really, really offensive. And I have, I am ready to get down with the devil here. Oh? I have a suggestion, <laughs> if you're watching, I have a suggestion for Cory Booker's campaign mm -hmm. and Kamala Harris's campaign, who are both, you know, on life support here politically. I mean, if they don't show a pulse, if they don't do something in this next debate, it's lights out, particularly, frankly, for Kamala Harris. I say lob some grenades at Mayor Pete yeah, on this. Yeah, take him out. You know, <laughs> it would be a lot harder for a white candidate. I'm just saying. I mean, they are the black candidates in the race. Um, and I don't agree with them politically, but I think they should have, I think they should be pretty teed off about this. Absolutely. This is disgusting. Um, <laughs> she's been a slow, you know, Michael Jackson's moonwalk was kind of fast. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren's moonwalk tends, has been a little bit more slow motion slower, <laughs> a little bit more, you know, a little more pizzazz rather than fast. Uh, so Elizabeth Warren, who... In the first place, her Medicare for All plan just doesn't make any sense. No. Um, and I, I love this tweet earlier from Brian Fallon. You remember he was Hillary Clinton's? Oh, Brian Fallon. Just these people. So Brian Fallon. <laughs> I mean, I just can't. I just can't with these people. Let's, let's show you the tweet with Brian Fallon. So Brian Fallon tweets out, First, Warren figured out how to fund Medicare for All system. Now she is proposing how to navigate the Senate to get there. Nobody else is combining this level of ambition with this level of detail on the legislative tactics. Okay, first off, she did not figure out how to fund Medicare for All because her, sis, her plan is rainbows and sunshines, and it, it is literally pie in the sky. I'm not a Hillary Clinton pie in the sky kind of person. I don't even think we need to discuss how to pay for it. I believe in modern monetary theory, and I think we already have the money to pay for it. We print money for war. We print money for the subsidies for all of the oil companies, all of the, all of the banks, all of the pharmaceutical companies. So we could just print money for the health care. Taxes don't fund federal spending, but that's a whole other issue. And we've covered uh, modern monetary theory here. But before we get into her new transition plan, which is basically a political whistle for public option first. Yeah. We'll discuss Medicare for all later, Medicare for all in three years. Uh, to remind you, her plan, let's not get into when it's going to be enacted. Let's just talk about how she says she's going to pay for her plan is it's a head tax. It's an employer head tax. So all employers would have to pay $9,500 per employee. So if you are an employee making $200,000 or you are an employee. If, if you're an employer and your employee is making $200,000, you'd have to pay $9,500 for he or she making $200,000. If you're an employer and your employee is making $45,000, same deal, $9,500. So essentially, it's a flat tax. It's just the same no matter how much an employee is making. So what that's going to do, instead of just saying like every other country, yeah, Jen and I are going to pay a little bit more in taxes but we're gonna get a lot more in services. 
and we're going to save money because the tax increase is less than the health care costs we're paying already. Hence, which I hope Bernie starts calling it this on the debate stage, it's a tax cut. Yep. So instead of doing that, she's twisting herself into a pretzel to find other ways to pay for it so it doesn't seem like we are going to have to pay any more. But that's just disingenuous because if you're charging a health if you if you're charging employers a head tax, what are employers going to do, Jen? They are going to drop people down to freelance or consultants. They're not going to keep them on to give them benefits. Exactly. And you want to know something? This is why healthcare shouldn't be linked to uh, oh, your employer. Exactly. Healthcare shouldn't be linked to your employer. And giving power to companies to then move you from full-time with benefits to um, um, freelance, the problem with that is, okay, so you'd be moved down to freelance with less hours, but you'd have healthcare, but then you have less hours, so you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're giving people healthcare, but not enough hours or work to pay the rent and pay the bills. I mean, for some people going from, let's say 40 hours a week down to 32, for actually not some people, most people, yeah, going down from full-time salary to hourly, uh, and let's say seven to eight less hours could be the difference in paying the bills, the electric bill, all that. So her plan doesn't make any sense. And on top of that, can you imagine if Bernie Sanders said, oh, this other seven to 10 trillion dollars, I'm gonna pay for it by cutting the military budget. I think she said by hundreds of billions of dollars, which I agree with. I just don't believe she's gonna actually do that because she's voted for all these massive military budgets and getting comprehensive immigration reform like that. Because it's that simple, it's that simple. But of course, Chris Matthews of Hardball and the Washington Post, they always say to Bernie, how are you gonna get that through Mitch McConnell? Elizabeth Warren, we trust you. Yeah. She'll get it through. She's got a plan, Jordan. Right. So her plan, <laughs> her plan is pixie dust. It, it's ridiculous. And now her transition, actually what her transition is, is changing what the original plan is. Her transition, and for, for, uh, hey, close your ears if you can't handle this. I agree with Nate Silver. Oh, <laughs> it was bound to happen at some Nate point. Nate Silver tweeted this. This is Warren's plan. And finally, no later than my third year in office, I will fight to pass legislation that would complete the transition to full Medicare for all. By this point, the American people have experienced the full benefits of a true Medicare for all option. And why I say I agree with um, Silver here, Warren's language here is really not that far from Buttigieg's former position on Medicare for All, which is that the public option would naturally lead to transition to full Medicare for All once the public uh, benefits, once they saw the benefits of it. This seems to be a pretty big hedge from Warren on Medicare for All, especially since third year in office means after a midterm in which Democrats, like almost all parties in their first midterm after winning the White House, are very likely to have lost. So. Let's just establish some facts here. Bernie Sanders' plan, Bernie Sanders' plan is in year one, we're going to lower the age to 55. Right now it's 65. In year two, 45. In year three, uh, 35. And then in the last year, everybody. I prefer, you know, Pramila Jayapal's bill, for example, which is two years, but whatever. I think Bernie 
by making it four years was giving a little bit to the establishment and not, you know, scaring the living shit out of them. So what's, if you want to talk about, you know, th this philosophy of giving the people something uh, right away, because mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren, her transition is starting with a public option. A public option is not Medicare for all. Not at a all. A public option is an option and not everyone could get into it. So that's always been the problem with a public option. Whereas Medicare for all, if you start immediately lowering it to 55, people are going to be very happy. The success stories are going to be very happy. You're going to start seeing uh, costs for health care go down when more people are on Medicare for Medicare, rather than Elizabeth Warren is saying in her first year, she'll do, I mean, I have it right here. First, it will be... Um, a public option. Here we go. First hundred days. I'll pursue comprehensive anti-corruption forms to rein in health insurers, whatever that means. I'll use the tools of the presidency to start improving coverage and lowering costs immediately. Okay. I'll expand Obamacare and yada yada. I'll fight to fast track budget reconciliation legislation to create a true Medicare for all option that's freeze for tens of millions of dollars. By the end of my first hundred days, we have op we will have opened the door for tens of millions of Americans. Yeah, yeah. We don't want doors open. No. We want somebody who, from day one, is fighting for Medicare for all, full stop. Because to say, in my third year, that's when I'm going to try completely Medicare for all. I'm going to do a public option first, rein in the insurance companies, whatever that means. Uh, you know, that's not political reality because like Nate Silver, again, he's right on this, is saying, you think after the Democratic Party pro possibly loses uh, the, the, the midterms in this would be 2022? Oh, yeah. Elizabeth Warren, two years away from reelection, is then I'm fighting but Medicare for all. Yeah, right. <laughs> and by the way, you know what a good way for Democrats to actually win the midterms in 2022? Hmm. What do you think would be a good way? To go full throttle for yes. Medicare for all? Giving, by that point, you're talking <laughs> 2022, by that point, everyone, uh, everyone 55 and above would have Medicare. So you have a whole new generation of people probably want to vote for Bernie Sanders' party. Mm -hmm. And... You also have, uh, by that point, probably, since it would be 2022, 2021, 55, 2022. So you'd also have most people, or almost as people, 45 and above. This plan that she's doing, uh, I hate. Please don't record this because I don't want. I don't want. I don't want a record that I am. Try that I am. Yeah, uh, ne let's never speak of this again. Praising Nate Silver, but he's absolutely right. The reason she is doing this is because she's a political calculator. Yes. That's it. Here's why. Relevant. Warren's strategy, Buttigieg supporters may be a softer target than Bernie ones. Many Bernie supporters are committed to Bernie exclusively. A higher percentage of Buttigieg, 55%, than Bernie, 40, are also considering Warren. So she's trying to soften the Medicare for all talk to get more of Buttigieg voters over to her. It's so frustrating. I mean, this is why people call her a faux-aggressive. She doesn't have conviction when it comes to this. And even if she truly did believe in Medicare for All, she's willing to compromise at this stage of the game. So if she's willing to compromise this much now, 
Well, when it comes to year three of a supposed Elizabeth Warren presidency, how much is she going to compromise then? 